Hi and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hi Matt, I'm Paroma. Welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series titled Sunny Side Up. We're really happy to have you here. Thankful to be here as well. Thanks for asking me. Great. So, do you want to start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and of course a little bit about Heinz Marketing? Sure. Heinz Marketing, we are a B2B sales and marketing consulting firm. We help companies build more predictable, scalable sales pipelines. I started this business about 10 years ago. I've been doing B2B marketing for most of my career. And I'm very excited to be doing it now with companies all over the world, just helping them eliminate the lumpiness of their sales pipeline development efforts. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your typical day at work? What's that like? Oh boy, my typical day at work, I try to be very process oriented and focus on what really matters. So, you know, I've got some compartmentalized time to do follow up from the day before, to check on social channels, to check in on, you know, hot leads for the night before, et cetera. But then typically I have chunks of time focused on some of my bigger priorities, the things I need to forward for the business, the things I need to clarify or drive for our organization or for our clients. So in other words, I try to be far more proactive with my time every day than just reacting to what comes in. So your company, Heinz Marketing, deals a lot with sales pipeline, accelerating it. So we really wanted to get your thoughts on the sales and marketing alignment bit. That's always been a struggle, especially in the B2B marketplace. What has been your point of concern in this It continues to be something that I think confounds a lot of companies. We've seen direct evidence over and over again that the more sales and marketing work together, you know, the more likely the company is to achieve its sales and revenue goals. And a lot of times sales and marketing still struggles to drive that, not just the strategic alignment, but the tactical alignment, you know, not just saying we all agree that these are good goals, but do we know how to operationalize sales and market alignment on a Tuesday? Some of that is just not having alignment on what needs to happen. Some of it is cultural, right? Where you've got sales and marketing that just historically have not necessarily been on the same page. Marketing does not want to have revenue responsibility and be measured based on revenue impact. Sales has been taught that they're on their own to hit their number. So a lot of companies bring a lot of baggage in the roles and in the departments and in their culture that makes that sales and marketing alignment more difficult. It's not insurmountable at all. But Mm -hmm. I think the more that companies recognize that cultural barrier, the better they're able to address it and overcome it. So, you know, there has been a lot of tips on how V2B companies especially can align these two functions better. So what are your thoughts on uh, an ideal prospecting cadence? Where should marketing hand off accounts to the sales team? There are some best practices in the industry that indicate, you know, once you've got a prospect that is not just the right person at the right company, but has interest in exploring a solution to a problem that they now realize they have, and it is an urgent problem to solve. Some version of that usually is the handoff point, but I think it's different for different companies. You know, some sales organizations want to do some of the challenging the status quo discovery process themselves. Some want that to be done by marketing to be handed prospects that are ready to explore solutions. So there's a lot of ways to define that. I think what's most most important is that both sales and marketing agree on what that definition is and then operationalize it and adjust it as needed over time. You get into the details of whether or not marketing should own the lead qualification process. Does marketing have SDRs reporting to them so that they're qualifying leads before they go to sales or does sales want to maintain that responsibility? It honestly doesn't matter who owns it as long as you're really clear on what the process is, how you define who goes into it, how you define who comes out of it. So I think that and it kind of little comes back to that sort of cultural alignment to make sure that you know what you're trying to achieve and everyone's clear on their roles and responsibilities. 
Absolutely. So um, let's dive in into a bit of account-based marketing here. It's uh, seeing great importance in the B2B marketplace. According to you, how best can teams provide a more seamless customer experience that's hyper-personalized? Especially this year, there have been so many predictions on ABM. And there's been a lot of uh, struggle, especially for smaller companies when it comes to scaling their ABM strategies because they want to hyper-personalize everything and they want to scale. So what are your thoughts on this area? Well, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, account-based marketing done well uh, requires you to have a, a tight integration between sales and marketing at every stage of the buying process. It also requires you to understand and address the entire buying committee. You know, I think CEB and Al Gartner talks about the fact that there are now seven to eight members of the internal buying committee for enterprise deals. And so you not only need to know who those people are and what their roles are, but figure out how do you build consensus amongst them to increase velocity of the buying cycle for your solution to achieve a certain outcome for the buyer. Now, doing those things, combining, integrating sales and marketing at every stage of the funnel and then addressing the buying committee, that's tough to do. And I think that that's where we, we see a lot of companies running into scalability problems in doing that well. But what I think a lot of companies forget is that if you look at the impact those enterprise deals can have, you're focused on those target accounts for a reason, the opportunity cost of not bringing them in is pretty significant. So if you really think about the economics of what it's worth to bring those deals in, a lot of companies start to realize they can actually apply more resources into those efforts, not be as penny wise and pound foolish and see a lot better momentum and results from their efforts. So, of course, you've been seeing a lot of consumption of data in this space and uh, with all these changing trends. Can you tell me about your thoughts on intent and have you used or have you been seeing a lot of demand for installed technology data? Installed yeah. data, intent data. And what kind of data should B2B marketing and sales teams really be focusing on? Those are great questions. You know, I don't think anyone can do enterprise sales, enterprise marketing without a pretty complex set of data that tells you not only who your targets are, but why you're targeting one company versus another. What are the trigger events and signals that you're responding to to have a contextual conversation? When should you reach out to a prospect for a particular reason so you can leverage timeliness of a particular contextual conversation as part of your pitch? I think it used to be, you know, we'd say, okay, here's the top 500 companies in our industry. Here's the primary decision maker. Here's their phone number. We're good. Your target market, your target prospects might not be the top companies in your industry. They may be, you know, scattered throughout the enterprise realm, but are determined based on certain characteristics of the organization that makes them most likely to buy. I think knowing who has budget, knowing what software they're using, knowing certain attributes that they have that do or don't look similar to some of your current customers and some of your current most successful customers. There's an awful lot of variables that go into the quality of your data and whether that data helps you make better decisions, not just in terms of who to sell to, but when to sell to them. Right. So, of course, content uh, content also, besides data, plays a big deal here. And it's core for marketers today. What are the biggest misses that you've been noticing when it comes to content strategies? Creation of content strategies. Here yeah, I think a lot of content is ask and not give. You know, I think especially if you're thinking about content at the top of the buying journey, you have to be overly generous with your insights. You have to be really interesting so you can keep someone's attention. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of just crappy content that is not very interesting, is not provocative, is about your company and your solutions and not about the customer, their pain and problems. So I think the better you can align the content you're creating with specific people in the buying committee and the stage they're at in the buying journey that level of precision can make your content work better. Um, and it'll help you increase the impact and velocity 
of the deals as a result. Okay, so when it comes to content, though, of course, there's always been, you know, blogging has become, has been a priority for most small mid-sized companies as well. And uh, they are slowly moving away and people are consuming content in different formats now. So where do you see all of this move to in the next couple of months or the next couple of years? You know, I think the fallacy I often hear is that, well, people are too busy and they're not consuming content anymore. And that's simply not true. I mean, we actually are consuming more content than ever. We're watching more TV than ever. If you include the amount of shows we watch on our mobile devices and tablets and through streaming, you know, we have more content coming at us in a variety of formats, short form, long form, tweets, Instagram, photos, videos, audio, podcasts. So there is not a scarcity of content being consumed by people. The scarcity is how do you fit yourself into that? A lot of content I see is interruptive. It's not actually that interesting. And it's, it's delivered to prospects at a time when they're likely not to, ready to consume it or willing to consume it. So your content strategy has to go from interruptive to irresistible. The content you create, not only the nature of the content and the message, but the format and the delivery and the timing has to be something that, that creates great anticipation from your prospects. If you can help someone be smarter, if you can give them content they would have paid for, you win. You get the attention of that prospect in a way that others don't have. Okay, so how do you see content and ABM and uh, all of this evolving in the next couple of months and in the next couple of years in terms of uh, the B2B trends? Well, I think we're going to continue to see narrower sets of content created. I think we're going to see content created for smaller and smaller audiences. I think we're going to start to move away from the focus on content that generates the most clicks and likes and the most mass market appeal to, in some cases, content for an audience of one. And I think the precision we bring to looking at the buying journey and buying committee and where prospects are in the process, as well as our ability to use data and technology and AI to customize an approach and a message to individuals, I think we're going to be able to do that in a far more customizable way. We're going to be able to do it more efficiently at scale, which will create a more intimate relationship and a more intimate journey for each one of those prospects. You know, there are tools in the market today that are allowing us they're giving us a peek of what that future is going to look like. But I think to earn that attention, to be able to do it efficiently at scale for enterprise marketers, we're going to have to create content for smaller audiences with bigger impact and bigger measurable impact. Okay. So, you know, so recently we had another guest on the show a couple of weeks ago who was talking about a sudden pick in direct mail when it comes to the overall B2B marketing and how tech companies are now using this channel. And it's all sort of come full circle, people, because of all the noise out there. So have you been seeing any sort of change in direct mail? Have you been experiencing people wanting some other kind of delivery of their content besides the digital experience? Oh, for sure. Yeah, direct mail has made an enormous comeback. I think to the point where people receive such few pieces of mail at work these days that when they do get mail, they think it's pretty novel and it gets opened. I mean, you could we're almost to the point where you could send someone a letter in a business envelope and they're probably going to open it because they don't get very much mail. I think the biggest trend I see in direct mail is is going from sort of bulk campaigns to trigger-based campaigns. So instead of saying, I've got a list of 10,000 people and I'm going to send 10,000 direct mail pieces, instead we're sending sporadic sets of campaigns out when they are best, most likely to be received. So based on certain trigger events, based on companies that announce certain things, based on certain timely needs or indicators in the market and from companies, instead of sending 10,000 pieces of mail out at once, you may send 50 this week, 40 next week, 60 the week after that, that is being received at a time when it is most likely to be appreciated in context. So it's not 
the same kind of focus on volume, but it's focused on context, qualification, and conversion. Yep, that's a great insight. So um, I'm going to move away from all of this and ask you about Martech products that you see picking up pace this year. So there's obviously a demand for great data, mm-hmm. better data, different kinds of data sets, and account-based marketing is playing a big role in the marketplace today. And everyone's all about content being king. So what kind of Martech products do you see or technology growing in demand because of these um, collateral gains by people? Yeah, I think that our ability to continue to customize the message and experience for individuals stands out to me. There are tools such as Highspot and Seismic and others that are making it easier for prospects or to, to put the right message in front of prospects at the right time, but reduce the amount of time it takes a sales rep to find that or and or create it themselves. I think there are tools that are allowing us to improve and expand lead follow-up at scale, tools like Sales Loft and Outreach that are allowing us to put the right message in front of the right prospect, but at more scale and do that post lead gen. I think those are quite valuable. And I think we've talked a little bit about better data, better prospect insights, account selection, intent data. Companies are getting smarter and smarter at how they use those as a way of sort of identifying and talking to the right prospects at the right time. So are there any last few key takeaways you'd like to share with the new entrants into the B2B marketing and sales space? Well, I mean, the, the key, I think one summary that you know you probably heard a lot is just focus on your buyer, right? I think, you know, a lot of times we do things because it's something we did at the last company. Or we do things because the CEO said a certain way or we get excited about our product and service and fail to put it in the context of why it matters, why we built it in the first place. If you can root your decisions in your customers, right? Root it in where they are, what they care about, what's going to be attractive to them. You know, you can make that move from interrupted to irresistible. You can be the organization with the content that people want to receive on a regular basis. So, yeah, my best advice, I think, is just to focus on your customer and base your decisions on what they need and want. Matt, thank you so much for your insights and your time. I think everyone's going to enjoy listening to this episode. It was great to have you here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Have a nice day, Matt.